hang on and it'll start recording in a second. Okay, there it goes. Well, Ed, I'm glad to meet you. I'm glad to see that you've um, been listening to the videos and getting some something out of them. Um, you, you mentioned something that gave me the idea that I should uh, start this way with you, that basically Buddhism um, has come to the West broken. It's broken in, in, and has fractures in several places. And that would say that one of the most important one is translation errors. Yeah. That, um, that the people who originally did the translations uh, were British. In fact, they were scholars. Um, and that they became interested in the Indian languages and so they start off translating the Pali without an understanding of Buddhism and without an understanding of the Pali language. And so they were, you know, having a hard go of it right from the get go. And so eventually over, uh, gosh, about 40 years, they developed a, a, a lexicon. Now, a lexicon is a, a translation dictionary from the English to Pali. And that the uh, lexicons now that the translators use, all the modern translators use the lexicons that these Christians did, which means that a lot of the words that are translated um, originally, that remains a translation. We yeah, I mean, like uh, for me, it, it was new that you used the word attitude. Uh-huh. Uh, like for me, it was new and it changed a lot. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. yes, that word for me, because in Swedish, attitude is a very different word from the word that uh, is used uh, in, uh, 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 normally, which is, uh, uh, what is the word that they normally use? Well, the Pali word is uh, Sama Sankapa. Yeah. Uh, okay, and the word can be translated in many ways. Yeah. And that the way that I see it most commonly translated is right intention and right yes, thought. Okay, now right thought has a bit of uh, usefulness to it. Because if in fact you have right thought, then you will have eventually right intention. <laughs> eventually. Hopefully. Eventually, right. But uh, that's also problematic because um, right thought uh, is generally not practiced. But we do it a lot with uh, Anapanasati that, uh, that in fact changing the content of the mind is the major part of our practice as opposed to watching or noting what's in the mind is what's more common in, in Buddhist practices because of the Western influence. And I think that this is part of the part of the problem is, is that because they don't understand that this is a whole attitude change, a whole uh, uh, view, a uh, world view. Uh, now, the other word, um, right intention, is even more problematic. And that's the, the, that's the most common in Swedish. In Swedish, is right intention. It, that's that's the word they use, right. and okay. I never heard any any other word. 
Right. Okay, well, here's the problem with using the word intention is, is that intention has always that you want something. You want something and you're intending for it. And so it also has to do with the future. And it also has to do with um, not being good enough. So I intend to have right thought instead of just having right thought. Yeah, it's both. It's both in the future and uh, it's uh, doubt, full of doubt. Also, yes, it does have doubt built into it. That in okay. fact, uh, uh, the eradication, the eradication of doubt and dealing with our ignorance is um, a major aspect of the of the Buddha's path, and and it's built in in many different levels. So. We can then say that this is just one example, Sama Sankapa, that is translated wrong. And we begin to see that there's a whole lot of words that are translated wrong and that they're translated out of Pali into a kind of Christianese. Look at the words that, that uh, have, have crept in that we have from, from Christianity. Monk, nun, monastery, temple. Monastery. <laughs> uh, uh, canon, scriptures, yeah. prayer, meditation, <laughs> concentration. Concentration is a big one, yes. Right, and and it just. Goes I, I, on I heard. And... I heard that you said in a video, it, and it really impacted me. Also, you said that not, concentration is not the right word. It's more a collect collection. You have to collect. The mind, right. you know, the gathering together, together of the gathering. factors that we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, an easy example of that is uh, um, a big wall clock. You've got a clock, okay? Yeah. You can, um, when if you have that clock samati, that means that all the pieces of the clock are sitting together and functioning correctly so that it becomes a clock. Concentrating a clock means you take a sledgehammer to it and you beat it into a small package. Yeah, exactly. Okay? Now, which is a better clock? Something that's been beat to death or something uh, that's properly functioning? You know, I, I, I've, I've been trying to beat that clock, uh, you know, very much. It's not working. Yes, so people who try to do concentration meditations, um, they're narrowing their focus. Um, an example of that would be, uh, you see, we do want to focus the mind and be able to get it to apply and sustain and keep going. The, the basic point that I was thinking about would be like reading, because everybody does a lot of reading. And we read online, we read an article online, we get an email and, re and it's a long email and we read it starting at the beginning and we keep reading it. And uh, in a way we're concentrating on it, but more importantly, we're focused on it. If we get too concentrated on that email, then we may not even be able to get through it because we get stuck on one of the paragraphs. Okay, we're not looking for one-pointed concentration. We're looking for a flow. Mm. Uh, is it is it an uninterrupted flow we're working mm -hmm. with? Well, I wouldn't call it uninterrupted because uh, that's not the way that it's practiced. It's impossible. That's what, 
It's impossible. That's exactly right, especially for the untrained and unskilled mind. And when the mind becomes skilled and trained correctly, and the individual knows his mind very well, then he stops trying to do that. Yeah. Okay. That that's something that I'm just gonna try. I'm just gonna try. It's this. This is like the first time I have a video call, so I'm just gonna try to put my iPad here on the right place because I'm holding it up with my arms, you know. So. Let me yes. see. You, see. Can you see my, my face now? Uh, no, it's still cut off. Maybe you can uh, tilt it a little more. Uh, let me see. Uh, now oh. that's... Uh, yes, that's... That's better? Right. But you have to lean down to get it. It would be better. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Is this better? Yes, but you're working very hard. You're trying to get really close and all of that. Um, it would be good if you could yeah. relax and just uh, adjust the camera so that it had better top of your head. You know, you tilt the camera so that it'll get. Yeah, yeah, I try, but then it falls down. This iPad. Then it falls down. Okay. Yeah. All right. You no? can get a stand. You can work with it later. Okay. It's better. No, still cutting your eyes off. Okay. Okay. I do like this. I, see, yeah, I, I hold it. I hold it. Okay. Sorry. All right. That'll that'll do. That'll do. So, we had talked about uh, the fact that many of the words are translated incorrectly, and because of that, Buddhism gets a kind of a um, religious flavor. I mean, look at all uh -huh. the religious words that are used. And because of the religious language that it's in, many people get the idea that uh, the goal is a kind of religious goal. And because we have the idea that Jesus is way up there in the sky and God is really high and far away and very good and we're not in original sin and all that kind of stuff, we tend to do that with the Buddha also. Rather than seeing him as a really, really beautiful neighbor, we try to make him something really super special. Yeah, I, tr I tried. I tried to 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 really put him down. I tried. I tried to like. He's just a normal human being. Please, Edward. Please uh, try to uh, re relate to this uh, this figure. But every time I, I every time I, I I listen to other teachers, it, it was like and all this talk about enlightenment as a like a like a psychedelic experience, you know, uh, like the, it's it, like it's a big experience, you know, that's going to mm -hmm. change your life. And after you have it, then you're like perfect and you, you can just do anything. Everything you touch turns into gold, you know. Sometimes I get that feeling. Well, that people talk about that. There are, uh, let us say, um, experiences that really, really affect someone very powerfully. But normally those experiences are in the opposite direction. An example of that is uh, someone, let us say, who burns their hand very badly on the stove. And because of that, they don't want to go around fire anymore. Every time that they go around fire, they remember that very bad burn. And so they want to avoid getting burned again. Okay. 
Now, that fire that we're talking about could be, in fact, a kind of criticism that a child can, let us say, go on stage and forget his lines and get criticized and maybe an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent fusses and argues and screams at him for forgetting his lines while he's on stage. And that kid does not want to go back on stage ever again. Exactly. Okay. He, he will avoid it because of one big episode. Okay. But like I said, that's generally in the opposite direction of, of where we're going. Generally, what happens instead is, is that our really good experiences, we tend to forget about them because they were, after all, safe and kind of ordinary. Yeah. And that when students are using meditation to try to gain an experience, that means that they're wanting something that they don't have. Yeah. It's a grasp. And so that's actually a form of suffering. Yeah. Actually, we're not looking for meditation or anything like that that has uh let us say experience as a milestone that a much better method of looking at it is basically over time the eradication of doubt mm. about how the practice is to be done mm. i noticed i noticed i tried what i really i have really you know tried your method is uh, last few days and I, and I was like I was like Edward you have to really now you have to do this Edward you have to really remind yourself every every five minutes uh, to uh, remember and uh, do the Anapanasati and uh, you know uh, since I have my nine month old son I never know when I'm going to be able to meditate so I meditate when he sleeps you know so last time I did it, it was the first time I didn't want to come out of the meditation. I just wanted to sit and just continue. You know, it was okay. the first time. So it was just, yeah, I just continued and I continued and I continued. And then I heard him screaming from his room that he wake mm -hmm. up, my son. And I was like, oh, nice. And then I look at the clock, one hour and ten minutes. It was not effortless. It was not uh, full of effort. Anything. It was very nice. Well, you see that when people want an experience and they want something, they're going to do something to get that experience, which means that they're going to put in effort for it. Generally, that kind of effort is not the right effort. No. Because of that, the mind will get tired because it's working too hard. Because it gets tired and working too hard, it gets dull. When the mind is dull, the student is not quite looking at what's going on, and so they go into what they call deep meditation. <laughs> now that deep meditation is generally when the mind is just really tired. Yeah. It it happens, you know. I, I I get really brain tired because I uh, I think you know I told you that I have, I have some compulsive compulsive thoughts, and I think uh, or compulsive thought patterns. I would I would say, so I think a lot, you know, and I it just keeps going and going, and it's do a lot of. Do you know anyone who does not do that? <laughs> Uh, well, it's just, here in Sweden, people seem to not be doing that because everyone I talk to, they're like, I'm like, I'm thinking all these thoughts all the time. And uh, I use the meditation and the Buddhism to, to stop it. And people are like, what? I'm not thinking all the time. You know, they're not saying that, but they're like, they're re reacting like it's a really weird thing to, to mm -hmm. try to get a, a hold of, of that. But for me, I, I, I mean, I notice every, every, every time I think also. I have a natural strong 
Saturday, I think. So I know this small pictures, you know, it can be a micro thought. Like uh, my neighbor, my neighbor made a sound and I had a micro thought, like it was very fast, that somebody was coming into the apartment. And then I, and my body reacted like with adrenaline. And normally I would miss it because, but I was doing Anapanasati. Uh, so I, I was like, my brain was recording everything. So I was like, okay, so this is like the micro impulse, micro thought that maybe in an in another setting, it would be like, oh, I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get a little bit worried. And then like a few days later, I'm going to think about buying a house alarm. And I don't, don't know where that impulse coming from. And it was not uh, logical. It was just a sound from my neighbor. So my brain is, is reacting like a, like a, like a ape, you know, like a animal. So, uh, most of a human brain is in fact, the brain of an animal. Yeah. And, and in that's, fact, all of the yeah. stuff that keeps us alive, all of our instinctual behavior, uh, uses the part of the brain that looks the same as the alligator. Anything that an alligator can do you do with that part of your brain yeah. now uh the scientists even call it the reptilian brain because it looks like the brain of a reptile yeah. and it's got a hippocampus and, a, and an amygdala and a, a smaller cerebellum the human cerebellum is huge but yeah. other than that so anything that an alligator can do like swim and walk around and wag its tail and and eat and and see and hear and all of that kind of stuff that's what the alligator does but the alligator is almost always on guard because an alligator's life is dangerous it's dangerous when he's still in the shell because some other alligator may eat the eggs and it's dangerous because i have actually gotten photos of birds big um uh uh crane kind of birds will take a relatively growing alligator maybe a foot 18 inches long and the bird will eat that alligator oh that's a good lunch huh that's a good lunch life is tough for an alligator (laughs) Oh, and so that's where that instinctual um, self-preservation mm-hmm. comes from. Uh, that we're all that we generally are on guard for danger. Yeah, and I, I, I started off in yeah. great danger, but yeah. now human existence, human society, is not necessarily dangerous. No. If you go off into the woods without any camping gear, without any clothing, without any shoes, without any tent or any camping equipment, it's really dangerous out there. Yeah. And yet nowadays you can go camping and you can carry a backpack that's got knife <laughs> and lights and uh, uh, good heavy clothing and uh, mosquito repellent and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. And you can go out into the wilderness and have a ball. So you can see that that's basically what's happened is humans have uh, been able to make their environment safe, and yet they still don't feel safe. Exactly. And, and that realization for me was like uh, that, I, that I got this impulse, this very quick picture of a man coming inside of my apartment. It was just a, it was a quarter of a second, you know. Mm-hmm. But if I had missed it, I would have not have known why I felt a little bit uneasy afterwards. Because it was okay. just very quick. But, uh, well, uh, yeah. you're right. 
that's uh, and I'm really glad that you're picking that up. That's something that many students are slow to. The Buddha said, in fact, that the mind is fast, O monks. Yeah. The mind is so fast that he doesn't even have an analogy for how fast the mind is. It's incredibly fast. Your mind can go to Saturn and back just by thinking <laughs> of the rings, and then you can go to Jupiter, and then you can go to Mars and come back. And light doesn't travel that fast. It'll take 90 minutes for the light from Saturn to get to us. But you can go to Saturn in the mind just by in, in, yeah. instantly. Okay. Where did that come from? It came from uh, the development over evolution of the survival of the fittest in the in the ins, um indication is the one the victim who can respond to danger faster will will survive and the slow one doesn't there's even a movie that's uh the name of the movie is the quick and the dead okay you're either, you're either quick or you're dead yeah, that's yeah. what danger and so we've got that um that internal mechanism and without it, we wouldn't have survived. So we've got to have very, very fast reaction time. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> if, uh, <clears throat> if, if another alligator comes swimming up close to me as an alligator, I better know it very quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I better be on alert if there's an alligator swimming next door to me. Okay. So. This is the whole idea that things happen really, really fast, and the very quickness of the reptilian brain is because it's going to be doing minimal amount of actual processing. That the human part of the brain is slow compared to the reptilian part of the brain. Yeah. Okay, it so we can the, react. It presents to the final product in like quarter 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 of a second right yeah. actually we're uh, the the general idea is that things happen on a on a um, internal clock inside the mind that operates at about a tenth of a second okay so that you'll have about 10 mind moments in one second that's fast well here's the way that we know this for sure and that is is then in 1910 when uh films started to come into production in movie houses and whatnot, mm -hmm. they ran it at 10 frames a second. Oh. The 10 frames a second of the videos flickered, and people could tell that things were going on and off and on and off and on and off. Mm -hmm. So uh, they increased the frame rate in the 1920s up to 24 frames a second. Now that means that uh, it's going to cost more than twice as much to make a movie because the most important and most expensive part of the movies back then was the film that they had to Yeah, use. the big films, yes. Okay, and at 24 frames a second, that's too fast for the eye to catch and process to know that this is flickering. Mm. Okay, and so, and so we actually called them flicks. Yeah, flicks. The movie, yeah. we'd go to the flick. Okay, yeah. what does that mean? It means that it's flickering, but now movies don't flick. That's no. because they've got the rate uh, up to uh, 30 frames a second and sometimes even 60 frames a second. And because of that, there's no problem. Uh, but that just indicates that, yeah, that's how fast things actually happen inside the no. brain. So what that means is, is that um, 
you might have heard of uh, the story that a lie can travel around the world in the time that it takes for the truth to put his pants on. <laughs> have you ever yeah. heard that? Okay. No, I have not. That's a nice expression. All right. Well, this is what it means, actually, is not that it's the truth and versus a lie, but it's, ver it's mostly that there's an initial reaction time. And then we can process it to make sure that it's almost like in an airplane, you have an automatic pilot. Now, an automatic pilot is not nearly as sophisticated as an actual pilot. No, exactly. Okay, it's got a gyroscope. It's actually quite, quite simple, the autopilot. But what it does is it'll keep the plane going in the same direction at about the same altitude without any problems with pitch and yaw or yeah. any of that kind of stuff. Okay, but if you take the, uh, the airplane off of automatic pilot, now the captain has a lot of work to do. Yeah. He's got to fly that plane and... He's got to keep it out of danger. You see, that's the problem with the uh, uh, automatic pilot is the automatic pilot is missing a lot of information. It, for instance, doesn't know that there's birds in the sky. Yeah, it sounds a lot like my first 20 years of my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So we, we actually start then in automatic pilot yeah. that is quick reacting. It's a fast reaction, but it's almost always based in uh, preservation of this of the self and yeah. uh, in that regard uh, it's let us say very sloppy yeah and it makes a lot of comparable talk so I, I notice also it it makes uh, a lot of comparisons between uh, me and other people all the time uh, and it comes with it well, we're bit. looking for danger yeah. Yeah, it's weird. We're looking for something wrong. We're looking to yeah. avoid uh, because it's uh, uh, it's based upon self-preservation. Yeah, and yeah. these are also like little thoughts that I that I, I wouldn't notice if I didn't have sati. It, it's like it's a little daydreams about, uh, and I'm like, what is this daydream about? And then when I investigate it, it's mostly about social status. Mm -hmm. And like, what does other people think about me? And Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do I fit in with the herd? Okay, yeah. this is also instinctual because in the old, old days, if we didn't fit into the herd, if the predator could call us out, our individual self out of the herd, then we're, then we're dinner. Yeah. But if we can get into the middle of the herd, like if we're a bunch of wildebeest or zebras or um, uh, uh, ox or something like that, they get into a herd. Sheep get into a herd. Yeah. And so uh, uh, sheepdogs can actually manage that herd. And all they're doing is just barking. And everything yeah. else is instinctual because yeah. of the sheep. Yeah, they're like friends, actually, also, the, 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 the sheepdog and, the, and the, the sheep, when they're not running around. Right, exactly. When, yeah. when the dog is uh, off duty, yeah, exactly. then it's there's very no cool. problem. But when the dog is actually out there barking at the sheep, they will go this way and that way, and the yeah, dog yeah, yeah. is smart enough, and they can get them go into, from pasture it's to very pasture funny. through the gate. Mm -hmm. And then they take a break, you know, lick little that's bit of sheep. And everything. That's because the sheep themselves are operating off of instinct. Hmm. 
So when the people, human beings, try to fit in with society or whatever, that's the same instinct. It's the herding instinct. Mm. If we don't fit in, we're dinner. Yeah. Okay. It's literally life and death situation. And we take everything as life and death because that's the whole point about the issue of the survival. That everything becomes an issue of survival when we have the attitude of being a victim. In other words, when we have the attitude that things are dangerous, then that means that we're more likely to be operating out of reptilian uh, instinctual behavior. But when we have the attitude that everything is safe and everything is hunky-dory, then we don't have to react. Now we can think things through, process things better, and have a better solution to the situation. Yeah, it's like uh, I noticed that the people with dementia, you know, when I come to them, uh, to their houses and help them with different stuff, I noticed that if I don't come in with the right energy, you know, I can I can speak, I can say like hello and be very nice, but if I don't have the right uh, safe, you know, energy, then they will start uh, reacting to it, like mm-hmm. uh, in different ways. Well, you can see that in fact, dementia or Alzheimer's would hmm. be then a human who has lost much of what was um, their human brain capacity. That it's the frontal lobe that opera, that rots out. That, in fact, if it was the reptilian brain that was malfunctioning, they die. Yeah. They'd either have a heart attack or just keel over or something like that. But, in fact, no, Alzheimer's is, uh, or, you know, it's gone through a, a succession in the English language. And the word that you're using is dementia. But that's 100 years ago. Okay, okay. For, for a long time, they used the word senility. Or senile. senile. Uh, yeah, senile, yeah. Like, okay. like senile, and yeah. now yeah. they're using the word Alzheimer's. And yeah. so a lot of people get confused. What's the difference between senile and Alzheimer's? Mm-hmm. The answer to that is the, it's the doctor who made the diagnosis. The <laughs> exactly. <name. laughs> Dr. Alzheimer's, yeah. Right. So that, that whole idea of senility means that we, we can't even function hardly as a human being and the, uh, the outcome is either totally into the vegetable state or death. Yeah. Uh, but as you're, as you're indicating, when someone is senile then, they're not listening to your words. They're picking up your energy. Because that's the only kind of brain they've got left. Yeah. They're very susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. And, and, but also it's very nice because if you take care of them very good, then they, they would show different sides. I had this old man, very aggressive towards the other stuff. And I was working a lot with my energy when I come to, to his house. And uh, during Christmas now. And the COVID and everything, you know, I put I put everything protective gear on. He can't see my face, you know, anything. But I help him a lot, you know, and we had fun time. And then he said, "You just come back to this place during Christmas, and maybe there's a gift for you under the tree." He said, <laughs> but he, you know, like to, like he was saying it to uh, to his child. You know, he was he, uh-huh. he, I I could see he was put back in time, and was like, and he was projecting. Maybe his child or something on me. You know, this this guy in a in a in a in like almost a hazmat suit. 
standing in, in his house. You're, you're pointing at something very, very important. Um, that it's actually quite well known that all elderly people begin to revert back to childhood. The older they get, and part of that has to do with uh, the deterioration of the brain in the sense of what's happening and processing in the moment. And so they revert back to the old things. But there's something else underlying that that's important for especially Dhamma dudes and, and people who are meditating to understand that elderly people want to get back to the childhood because they recognize in, in, a, in a way that the, their whole adult life has been shit. Okay, that's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've been around Alzheimer's and they tend to remember things that happened when they were, when they were very young. Mm. Um, but so, I noticed that in the, in, uh, I'm sorry, Gamarata, but I noticed that in the dying as well, you know, both when my, my parents both are unfortunately passed. And I uh, and I was with the bedside of of uh, my mother three years ago, mm-hmm. and I noticed also that uh, people are also start to revert in in some ways in behavior when that happens. And uh, also, like uh, when my father died, I noticed he was very uh, he he went into a, a state of total fear, you know, and total. Uh, he reverted back into, I didn't, you couldn't have contact with him, mm-hmm. no. But my mother, you know, she was a Christian. She had much more coping mechanisms for it. She was more spiritual, you know, she was, uh, she was very calm. But at the same time, she was uh, at, the, at the whole, if, if you look at the whole thing, she come back, she was also like traveling back in time a little bit in her behavior. Because there was, was a, there was a man there, was a, there was a nurse there who was a Spanish, you know, because my mother is from uh, Uruguay. So he come and he speaks Spanish to my mother. And she, you could see that she was like, li- uh, even though she had a lot of pain, she was like, you know, she was coming like, like a little girl, you know, she was a little bit giggly, you know, uh, because he was speaking this uh, Spanish to her. And, you know, it was nice to see. Okay, well, let's... Um... <clears throat> Let's investigate for that for a little bit. Uh, when a <clears throat> when a baby is born, the the brand new baby, um, the situation is like in a medical ward, uh, maternity ward, that when the baby is born, the women in the maternity ward, the workers, they like to be there when the child is given to the mother. That's a very tender moment for the mother to bond with her new baby. Uh, they've done some research and found out that there's actually some brain chemicals that are going on with that bonding. Mm. Um, oxycotton uh, or oxycodon, something like that is the name of the chemical that is naturally produced in the brain. And that uh, the mother keeps that for her child throughout her life. But... It's the strongest when the child is infant, when the child actually needs to be taken care of, the mother will have that affinity, that bonding, that nurturing quality to it. And so um, the brand new infant 
is forgiven for everything that it does wrong. Yeah. But it's okay, whatever the child does, okay? If it's crying, <laughs> we try to burp it. Yeah. If that if that child is crying when he's eight or nine years old, the adults will tell him to shut up. Yeah, I know. No, I, I, no, I, I won't do that. But, but, but yeah, I understand what, what you mean. Right, but a brand new infant. I, I cry a lot. I cry <laughs> maybe three, four times a week. You know, I'm a real big crier still. Right. So even when the child, that brand new infant, uh, uh, has his first uh, bowel movement. His first poopy. Everybody is very happy about it. But if that same child is a teenager, craps on the dinner table, everybody's going to be really unhappy and angry at him. Okay, now here's where we're going with this. Is that when every one of us is new and, and freshly born, um, the general thing that happens, and it doesn't always happen. If it doesn't happen, then this is what they call an abandonment issue because the infant feels abandoned. He's not getting the nurturing that he needs. Yeah. That Freud began to figure this out 150, uh, yeah, well, 130 years ago. So, um, basically what happens is, is that as we get older, the older the infant gets, the more into society he gets. Like right? by the time he gets six years old, he's got to go to school. Yeah. Okay. With him having to go to school and having to do something and perform, this is where criticism comes in. And so now the mother is not just uh, goo goo gaga with her child. Now she is go clean your room, mm-hmm. eat your food. You have to eat your peas before you get your dessert. Learn your ABCs. Okay. And so everything happens to the child that turns our wonderful life into um, a job to be done. Yeah. And so the basic change is made from being nurturing, the mother nurturing her baby, into her being critical of her child. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we go from nurturing to critical, and mothers will go back and forth. In fact, the mothers will be the one who will most likely be nurturing, but she'll most of the time be critical. So she'll be critical and nurturing. Dad's even more likely to be critical and a little bit of nurturing. But other people, uh, other adults are critical all the time and very little nurturing. And so as we grow up, we don't get much nurturing. So when we're old people, the ones who are having Alzheimer's, they're trying to revert back to that time. To that stage. And not only that, because they can't take of themselves very well because of their uh, brain illness, they are actually are taken care of. They do, in a way, revert back to their infant status. We're not very nurturing culture. Now, when I walk around in, in in, in the streets, I think bad things about people, you know, I see one guy is, I think, okay, the fatty, uh, oh, that's, uh, um, you know, I, I, I just put uh, my, my labels on everybody, you know, so I see mm-hmm. one of, oh, that's a, uh, oh, that's a fat person, or that's a lazy person, or what the luck is his shoes, uh, and, uh, you know, it's just going and going, and it's, it, it's, sometimes I use it as humor, you know, dark, very dark humor, but I notice it, put, it, it, it puts me down as well, you know. That's exactly right. That's the, in fact, the important thing of all the time that you recognize that you're critical of other people, 
guess what? You're even more critical, more often of yourself. Yeah. It's not a nice okay. feeling. Mm -hmm. And so what the whole point of Anapanasati is, the whole teaching of the Buddha, is let's come out of that critical thinking and come back into nurturing thoughts. Okay. Now, there's something else that's going on that's actually quite valuable for students, modern students, to understand. And that is, is that in a natural, more primitive society, the, um, the children are not raised in such heavy criticism that they are raised in a, a very modern technological society. Uh, but in a much more primitive society, um, a kid the age of 13 or 14 already knows everything that all the adults around him knows, and so there's no reason for him to continue his education. But in, in our Western society, they've got the idea the more education, the better, and some people just don't ever stop going to school. They just <laughs> keep going to school, got a master's, got another master's, get a PhD, go get another master's in this, and just yeah. keep on... Um, and that or, they, or, they get, or they get like me who like, just like eats books and, and just want to and, and, I'm, and it's just I can't stop, you know, it's compulsive. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So. so in this primitive society that is not so critical and not so information bound, that means that the primary issues in life are the primary problems that the, the young men and young women who are being uh, raised in that society, what their major problem is, is sensual desire and greed, wanting things that they don't have and wanting to go get them, thinking that they're going to get uh, uh, some reward or benefit if they get that new axe or that new bow and arrow or whatever their society has, you know. But their technology is not strong. Now, what has happened with us, especially at about the time of the Industrial Revolution? You see, before the Industrial Revolution, the farmers had to pay taxes. But they only paid it about once a year that the king's men, the army, would go out and, and gather tax money from the, from the people about once a year. But what has happened is, is that we have because we've got clocks and we've got the mentality of time and money having value, both time and money have value, that means that you can put a value on time. Like yeah. lawyers, they want $200 an hour or $350 an hour or the girl in the store works for $7 an hour, you know, yeah. this, my, like this. I, 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 I named my savings account Time Buyer. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so, and with that criticism, that means that now our children are raised with two major issues. One is, is that instead of just following their dreams and following their greed, they also have jobs to do. They've got work to perform. Uh, we've got to get that education. We got to know what we're doing, et cetera, like that. So that now means that um, on top of, and I'm referring now to the second noble truth. The second noble truth, the cause of suffering is greed and ill will. 
And in more primitive societies like the society that the Buddha was raised in, and you can actually see that in the suttas where he's talking about the big problem with the young people in those days was greed. The major problem with modern society is not the greed, but it's the ill will. It's the critical thinking. Yeah. It's the I'm better than they are, or he's fat, or I don't like that food, or this, that, and the other nice. thing. And so we get into position of right and wrong, up and down, good yeah. and bad. And this is what we mean by critical thinking. The Buddha yeah. would call this kind of thinking unwholesome. Yeah, exactly. That in you, fact you it is thoughts of like, ill will. Yeah. You turn into a you turn into a critic, you know, like a, like a professional critic of everything. Right, and and look at the fact that criticism and and critics are a natural function of our society. We even in the newspapers will hire somebody to go to movies just to criticize them. Yeah, exactly. It's really okay. It's really and really so, essential part. Oh, look, sorry. And so. What we have with Anapanasati now is actually two issues that we have to work with. One is, is to dispense with the greed that naturally comes from a primitive society, and the other is the ill will that comes with a more industrial society. Yeah. Okay. So, any thoughts that have to do with greed and ill will are not nurturing thoughts. They're wanting something in the sense that I will be better off if I get something or their uh, thoughts of I don't like this and I don't like that and things are difficult to endure. This then gives us a really strong attitude of being a loser or being a victim. Yeah. We're victims because we don't get what we want and we're victims because we criticize all of this stuff and criticism, yeah. what goes around comes around. Yeah, but and even so, when we get what we want, we just go to the next thing. Exactly, no. that we're never satisfied with that no, greed. Never. In fact, after we get what we want, now we start criticizing that item. We no. can't just love it, we've got to criticize it. Yeah, we've got to cut it up, look at the intestines, everything, and like, mm -hmm. yeah. Really, it's, uh, it's, that's, yeah. It's not a good way to, to be happy. It's a good way to survive, maybe but not a good way to be happy. But that's the way our society has uh, grown up, and that's the way that we teach our children. That um, a, a good example of this is domestic violence. Yeah. The people who are in a household uh, that has domestic violence when they're a child are most likely to be the ones who are living in a household that has violence when they're an adult. The same thing is true with alcohol. If you have alcohol in the house and the parents are drinking alcohol on a regular basis, the child will more likely to be drinking alcohol. Yeah. If both of the parents go to the same church and keep going to the church and taking their kids to church when they're kids, the child is more likely to go to church when he's an adult than someone who never went to church when they were a kid. Hmm. Okay. This is an important point to recognize that most of the real problems of life do not come with a child being born because when the child is born, he's nurtured. The problems in life come when we start criticizing. 
which means that if in our practice we can come to a point of stop our criticism mm. and start having nurturing thoughts, then our practice will have some benefit. Mm. And so that that benefit of make the changing this moment <clears throat> and a few moments and a few more moments uh, and and start to develop the habit of nurturing we can come out of the habit of being critical. Yeah, it feels weird in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, these past few days, I've been, I've been really, really putting my fo uh, focus now. Now I'm talking about focus here. Uh, but I've really been <laughs> trying to collect myself to do this. And, uh, and I noticed that sometimes it feels really weird and, and feel really contrived, you know. Mm -hmm. but, but at the same time, I realized that I, I'm doing all this negative self-talk and that that doesn't feel contrived. So uh, it's just a matter of practice, right? It is a matter of practice. And it also is a matter of being honest. Yeah. Because we have, in fact, been lying to ourselves and the society has been lying to us for so long that we don't really know the difference between lying and, and not lying. But when we hear something that's different from what we have come to know, then we can say that that would be lying to ourselves. An, ex an example of what I'm talking about is self-help books that have affirmations. Okay. So the idea is the teenage girl is in the bathroom, standing in front of the mirror, looking in the mirror and telling herself, I'm going to have a wonderful day today. I'm the boss of this place. Yeah. Guess what? She doesn't really believe those things. And so after she leaves the bathroom and goes about her day, she reverts back into the old space that she was because yeah. she really didn't believe those affirmations anyway. That the practice of Anapanasati is basically coming into wholesome thoughts and most the important thoughts of most important quality of these wholesome thoughts is, is that they're true. They're real. They can touch us deeply because, in fact, they are not just real, but they're also profound. But they also go against the grain of all that we have learned through uh, the bringing up. So just like I was talking about domestic violence, alcohol, religion, and all of that, those those same children and all of the other children are taught how to be critical. Mm. And so we remain in a critical state of mind. So when uh, somebody says, uh, OK, I'm going to meditate and they say, OK, I'm going to gladden the mind and I'm going to have thoughts like I feel good mm. or um, uh, my what a beautiful day, then the next thought they have is, I don't believe it, mm. that this is contrived, okay? Mm. So I think I, uh, the, the first thought that they had was a nurturing thought. Yeah. But then the second thought they have is a critical thought. They don't believe it. Yeah. But I, okay, I think so I, I need to keep coming I'm, back I'm, and having more yeah. and more nurturing thoughts. I, I, I'm lucky in that way because I, I, I read so many books now. I started, you know, I started reading uh, Thich Nhat Hanh first. Uh huh. Because uh, it was very nurturing language, you know. So when you read it, you feel like uh, you're talking to an old friend, you know. You, 
it's very warm and and I really needed it you know uh, I'm very you know I'm a very sensitive guy you know I cry a lot and I you know I really live you know I try to live and I, uh, and I get really sad and I get really happy you know I say, Shh. so uh, I'm lucky in that way that I can follow my emotions that much I have realized that I'm not as critical in my in my default state as many other people because of uh, that I was born this way you know so well, and, and I realized you spent all this time talking about no this is learned behavior maybe you didn't learn so much but you weren't born with criticism no infant is born with it this is learned behavior yeah but you know when I was small when I was a child I, I, I kind of knew some of this stuff you know so when I uh, in, the, in, the, in the kindergarten, the, 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 the staff, they took me to a mirror and they said, who is this child? And then, you know what I said? This is a child, I said. And they were like, oh, my God. So they called my, my dad, who was a psychologist, and they called him and said, he doesn't know that he, he, has, a, he has a weak uh, sense of self. You know? He doesn't know what it is. And I remember just, I'm just making fun of these people. You know, When I was like three years old, three, four years old, I'm like, Okay, they're reacting to me a lot here. Okay, so I can say if I say this, maybe what what You're will happen? Really touching on some beautiful stuff. I really appreciate that you've gone so far. That's really excellent. Here's two things about that. One is is that every child is born not critical. We learn that criticism. The next point is is that um, every child. Let us talk about three-year-olds, maybe four. They're smart. Every one of us at the age of four is smarter than the adults around us. Yeah. The problem is, is that the, the, the big adults are big and strong and powerful and can beat the tar out of us and tell us what to do. And so the child instinctively begins to conform he begins to get go along to get along, and we become socialized. Yeah. And that deep wisdom that we have it, as really young kids, we have to kind of set that aside. Yeah. Well, Anapanasati then is the whole art of let's bring that back. Yeah. Let's, let's get out of the critical way of doing it and come back to the more intuitive, nurturing way of doing it. The yeah. next point that you made was is that, yes, young children have a very weak sense of self. Yeah. That sense of self actually is part of the critical mind and it grows. And so when you come out of the critical thinking, out of the critical mind, guess what? That self and selfishness begins to deteriorate and melt away again. And we go back to a more natural state the way we yeah. were when we were three years old. I, I, I actually remember some amazing perceptional experience when I was in that age, you know. I think it was the first time I actually, uh, like, uh, discovered that there was something more about this world, you know. Uh, uh -huh. that, so they, they had the news. Uh, they, my, my, my daycare was shutting down, and, and I have video of this. So every, uh, we had, on the news, they were filming us eating, you know, at the table in Sweden in the, in the early uh, uh, 90s. You can see all the children sitting and talking to each other, but not me. I'm sitting like this, watching the lamp. 
like this. I'm so mesmerized. I remember I was so mesmerized by lights and, and sounds and, and patterns and everything. It was like moving. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I looked at stuff, it was like moving and breathing, you know. So uh, I could, like my imagination made things very nice. But every child is like that also. Yeah. We're all alike. But many of us don't remember that kind of stuff. So I congratulate you that you can actually remember. Yeah, but you know, I only remember it because that thing I only remember because I had it on video. So it was like my parents like, oh, you're going to be on the news tonight. So they, they put the video we saw in and they recorded it. And I, all children was talking and I was just thinking like this. And then when I watched the video when I was older, I was like, why was I like that? Was, was there something wrong with me? You know, I, I thought. And then I just remembered. Oh, okay, but even I used to look at the walls, you know, and just see, you know, patterns. I, I was, you know, mesmerized by the world. Young children are, in fact, much more involved with their sensual input. And when I'm talking about sensual, I'm talking about the senses. Yeah. And so the stage that you were in was because you were gathering information. You were bringing in information like light and sounds and things like that. But what happens as we grow older is we stop taking in new input and just keep regurgitating the old stuff over and over and over again. The world and seems so the duller and boring every year, more boring every year, you know, mm -hmm. more gray. Mm -hmm. And so this is um, uh, part of the practice then of Anapanasati is to come out of that critical mind, to come out of that critical thinking, and to come out of thinking in general and yeah. start having thoughts that have to do with what we're seeing and, and the other senses. This is why Anapanasati has such great value is that it actually helps us to wake up the body. If we're beginning to really pay attention to the breathing, especially the long, deep in-breaths, then the whole body begins to change. The, not only the chemistry, but the touch of the cloth. You can feel the touch of the cloth of the shirt that you're wearing. You can feel the rise and the fall of the abdomen. You can feel sometimes even the shoulders come up and down. You can feel it from the neck down into the belly. There's all kinds of things associated with the breathing that help wake up the body up. A little baby, a little child, three-year-olds, they live in their body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We all live in our body. We're having to learn to walk. We're having to do all kinds of things that we, but after those skills are developed, then we put them a kind of a way yeah. and we stop gaining in sensory input and yeah. start doing all of it with with mental um, critical thinking. Yeah, my daughter, it's like my daughter, you know, I was uh, picking up at the nursery a few days ago and it's really snowy now in Sweden. So I took her on the on the, you know, on the slide and I, I pull her at home, pull her home, you know, and then I see this little child. She's one year old. She just started at the nursery. Her dad is pick, picked her up. And she's walking like, like a little duck, you know, walking, mm -hmm. walking with her big, you know, with the big winter clothes and everything. And he, and he's, we were talking, he's saying to me, oh, she always wants to walk home. And I said to her, then I said to him, but she's enjoying, you know, just walking. And he has not thought about that. He was like, oh, okay. 
and, and yeah, and I say, look at my daughter. She's already critical, thinking critical. She's sitting down here. She doesn't want to walk. She just want, she wants me to pull her home. You know, she's already figuring out how to be more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I said, enjoy it that she wants to walk. You know, you're pointing out things that uh, the psychologists have begun to figure out, but very few uh, meditation teachers incorporate this kind of data to help the students understand. Mm -hmm that basically what Anapanasati is, is to put away all of the years of criticism and go back to a more natural state that we were born into. Yeah, yeah. That maybe is why it feels so really good. So. It feels awesome. But we've gotten such a bad habit of critical thought that the default position is that kind of critical thinking. And we need to change that default by intentionally having wholesome thoughts. And that the Buddha was really big on this, and I'm so surprised that in Western Buddhism, this point is missed. An example of what I'm talking about is in the Mahasi method, they talk about noting. Yeah. You know, to note this and note yeah, yeah, that. I, I, read the, I read Mahasi's book. It was very okay. hard to read, but I read it. Okay. Uh, well, that, that noting method, though, yeah. is not what we're practicing here because they are not making the distinction between two kinds of thoughts. In other words, the noting will be noting thinking of mother, thinking about Uncle Bob, thinking yeah. about mom again. Okay, so that's the way that the noting is done. The way that we want to do the noting is when that thought of mom comes up, we can say, okay, that's in the past. Mm -hmm. That we don't need right now. Let's be in yeah. the present moment, okay? And so uh, we're actually uh, in a way of this, um, it's kind of tricky. It's called investigation. Yeah. This is part of one's right view. And what we're going to investigate is what is dukkha? Yeah. That's the first noble truth. What is dukkha? We begin to understand that all critical thinking is dukkha. Yeah, I've been Therefore, a lot in dukkha. You know, the, the, the last few, two, one and a half years since I started studying Buddhism, I, I, I mean, my suffering has, has increased a lot. I, I, I mean, I, my enjoyment as well, but my suffering has increased a lot because I've seen, it has not increased, I have seen my suffering, you know. More. Ah, excellent catch there. Excellent insight. I would say if you were, in fact, enjoying things more, then that would automatically mean that you're suffering less. However, because you're paying attention to the suffering, it looks like more. Yeah. It's, it's basically like uh, walking into a room with yeah. only a flashlight. You know, only a little hand light. <laughs> And we and it's dark in yeah. there, and we can we can see this, that, and the other thing. But if we turn on the lights completely, we can see everything in the room, yeah. and we can see what a junkyard this place is. What a mess! Okay. Yeah, I've seen it, and it's all uh, it's from thoughts to perceptions to everything. So it's it's very easy to get a little bit. Uh, it's very easy to get a little bit depressed. You know, to get a little bit of dark night of the soul thingy going on. Ah, Even though, but this. Yeah. This is the problem then that the students have when they begin to see more and more and more dukkha. Mm -hmm. They think that there is more and more and more dukkha. Yeah. 
because they're not gladdening the mind. What we really need to do is to change that attitude or gladden the mind in the sense of saying, aha, I can see new dukkha. What used to be okay with me is now dukkha. Isn't that marvelous? I'm beginning to really wake up. That's what you you taught me, you know. That's what you taught me, and uh, it's really changed the game, you know. Because in the last few days, I have been progressing day by day, you know. So, and I've been, I've been in really stressful situations with my children, you know, so really test me. Like one children is screaming like this, one children is shitting their pants, you know, everything. And, and it's just chaos, you know. And, and I, I'm like breathing and everything. And it's really worked, you know. So for me, it was like more, what you talked about earlier, you talked about it like there's a process of noting, like this is the past. But for me, the, the, the past few days, I just when I start thinking a lot and I, and I get like foggy in my, in my head, like I, I revert, you know, I go, go into this dreamlike state of thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to, then I just like, okay, I remember, and then I take a deep breath. And then I, uh, I, I have not really think, thought, like, uh, like I have not noted it with a word, what I was thinking. I, was, I have just like really little bit rejected it, just take a deep breath. Yes, and try to like, yeah, good, good that you noticed that. Good work, Eddie. You know, so think like that. And I, uh, so it's, it's like a, it's like a, I've insta- installed new software now, so that I, I need to work with. <laughs> Great, that's that's a good way to to look at it. Yes, that we can have a software upgrade. Yeah, that's so. that's a good way of putting it. So in this new software upgrade. The point is, is to remember, sati, to keep remembering, to look at what we're doing, look at how we're thinking, and notice that we could change our ordinary life any time that we think of it by just gladdening the mind, by having the kinds of thoughts that things are really nice right now. Everything is okay. This is so strange to Western people that it, it takes a, a long time for us to even figure out that, hey, I can just be happy. I don't have to be unhappy. Uh, yeah, I forget it. I forget it a lot. You know, I have to get back to it. Uh, and I forget it a lot. But uh, some, uh, it's weird because when I'm at work, when I'm with the sick and elderly, it comes easy for me. But as soon as I step out, then, then I love life. You know, I, I, I do. Well, that's I do. because you're involved in their life. Yeah, yeah. And you're not not being so selfish. Yeah, I love it. But when you come away from them and dealing with their life, then you start to deal with your own life, and that's when things get tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then I want to sit with my phone, or I want to read a book, or I want to watch a movie, and the children they want to play with me and do something, and, and I and I do it. Uh, and but some days I I have just sitting there and like, oh my god, I I can't. I don't want to, you know, my four-year-old is talking to me blah, 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 all the time. And some days I just want to, please, please shut up. I, want, I just want to do my, my stuff now. But at work, I'm like totally opposite. At work, I'm, I'm you know, I'm dancing with the old ladies. I'm, I'm, uh, we're, I'm, I'm reading poetry for people. Uh, I, like, it's an amazing uh, experience every time I work. But at home, it, it, it has been that this way, way as well, but not so much now that you know that you can probably even hear in advance in your own head what i'm about to say on that 
And that is, is that you can begin to treat your four-year-old the same way you're treating your Alzheimer's patients. Okay. And that you can do, you can actually devote some time to, to that. So that if the child wants something from you, you can at least tease them. Yeah. At least take a moment to tease them. Yeah, to yeah. Begin to play with them. Yeah, but I play, I play a lot, you know, with my with my with my children. But maybe yeah. I think I play a lot. But you know, sometimes I don't do it. It's like uh, it's like uh, when you tell yourself like everything is fine and good job, and it's, you don't really mean it, you know. So you're doing it, you're not really enjoying it, you know. You're doing the wrong kind of meditation, as you would say. Ah, but so. if you see that in that moment, then you can say, hey, I'm just going through the motions, but look at yeah. how I feel and I don't feel good. Let me do something that I can start to feel yeah. good. And the last few days, Damarato, the last few days when we have been playing, I am feeling so good. It was very <laughs> different. Very different. I, because I, because you know, you know, I actually I work with playgroups in the nursery also. So I work with, I come there and I and I put together a group of children. I work with them for one year. You know, we just play, and and, and after a year, they, they they develop a lot of skills. You know, it's a very Nordic, it's a very Nordic uh, Scandinavian you know view of children. So I don't think it's a very American way. But actually, some of these theories come from America. But that's another story. So. Uh, I, I play with them, so it's, it's you know playing with children for me has become a, like a trait of my job also. So when I come home, you know that's why it's not more, as enjoyable because I, I throw I throw this uh, job vest I throw this job clothes off, and then I come in and I'm like now I I, I am this private person with all my insecurities and, and needs and greeds and, and worries, you know. Isn't that amazing? It's well known that we are at our worst when we are at home. <laughs> uh, that's it's really it's it's it's, it's tragic comical, but it's it's a little bit funny too. In a, yeah, it's kind of in a way like we let our hair down. Yeah. Okay, and there are many examples of that that are quite stark. For instance, the mother is criticizing and fussing at her five or six year old, ten year old because he's not doing his homework. And if I would walk in, I would say to that lady, if you talked to a police officer on the street, the way you're talking to your 10 year old kid, you're going to have a big problem with that policeman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so what think, usually what I notice when I work at the nurseries, because I, I don't talk with children like that. You know, I come in and I said, I, I find it, I, uh, you know, I don't need to force them to do anything because when I, after I play with them for one hour, you know, I can just like, oh, line up everybody and they just do it because they like me, not because mm -hmm. they're afraid of me. And the other teachers are like, how do you do this? And I'm like, if you, then I thought about exactly the same thing. If you use that tone talking to, to someone, of course they won't like you. It's condescending tone all the time. Please do that. You're you're so annoying. Like like, and I have talked to so, and I have unfortunately fell into that when talking to my daughter mm -hmm. and and my son. Already, my son is just nine months old. But I thought, oh please, don't try to pull the TV down again. You know, when he stands up and he's trying to, you know, he's crazy. You know, try, trying to pull everything down. So yeah, but now I I not think about. It. I get a realization now. I okay. think that's where we're talking. Well, here's what we can do with that then. 
uh, getting back to that story that I just told about people at home will behave badly in a way that they do not behave badly outside. So when you're outside working with uh, the children or working with the Alzheimer's, then you can say, okay, this is my job and I can be joyful and all that. But when I go home, now this is my time. Yeah, yeah, my time. Yes, yes. Okay, so that That's means that selfishness comes right in. Yeah. But you can keep that same attitude that you have when working with the kids at, at work. You could do that with your same kids at home. That you can see, in fact, that your time with uh, your kids at home is Dhamma time. Mm. And that the skill that you need to develop is to be playful. Yeah, that's great, man. Even on, at my time. So this is something mm. that I would say that you could uh, start to look at. Um, um, as, as a point... Many people, because of the way that Buddhism has been introduced into the West, they think that the Buddhist practice has to do a lot with meditation. And then they get the idea that meditation is like done in a meditation hall, this, you know, beautiful building with uh, with uh, glossy floors and maybe a dais on the uh, the front. Where the monk will sit, or whatever, like that. I, all, and, I, I, I always had a hard time with those kind of settings, you know. When I started meditating, I started meditating a lot, you know. I, was, I didn't need any retreat. I have done many retreats by myself, you know, uh, not you know, choosing not to sleep, you know, because I have, I have life. Well, here's the thing about those retreats is, is yeah. that they, they talk about noble silence. Yeah. And they talk about not interacting. And so basically what they're saying is, is they're saying, do like the Buddha recommends and go into seclusion. But mm -hmm. you and another hundred people have yeah, to go exactly. into seclusion together. And that doesn't make any sense because you're not in seclusion at all. But in seclusion means getting away from it all, yeah. including all the other meditation students. Yeah, but also... Like I talk with people and they're like, oh, I really want to start a meditation practice. And I'm like, okay, let's start. Let's 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 start doing something. And then they're like, oh, but I I think I need to go to a retreat first. Like like this that, that that's a Deguenka effect, I think. You know, everybody thinks they need the ten days. I want you know I want to go there there too, but I can't because of my family. But I don't need to. Well. With that Burmese method, they have the idea, and it's, it's actually quite common. There's a lot of uh, the Burmese uh, method here in Thailand also. Uh, that to go to the retreat means that you take all of the stuff that you have been using to keep out of your own worst mental states. Like people, uh, they, when they go to the retreat, they don't take their cell phone. A lot of people spend a lot of time with their cell phone. They can't take games to play. They don't take a deck of cards. They don't take uh, or their uh, laptop or books yeah. to read. Or tobacco. So, no tobacco. That, that's what I noticed. You know, I stopped with the tobacco just because I wanted to go on a Goenka retreat. You know, I booked a Goenka retreat before Corona. And then I, I had this snooze, you know, this tobacco, a Swedish snooze. You put it under the lip, you know, like this. Mm -hmm. It's a very strong, very strong tobacco, very addictive. And I've been doing it for many, many years. So uh, when I saw this Gwenke, it was like no drugs. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do without my snooze? You know? 
All the guys well, in Sweden. Look at that for a second, okay? So the whole idea of the retreat is you go to a place where you have to do without everything. Yeah, exactly. And that, in a way, has some advantage. Yeah. It has the advantage of, okay, since you don't have the drugs, don't have the tobacco, don't have the book, don't have the cell phone, don't have any of this stuff, now you have time yeah. to, have to clean out break. your mind. <laughs> But people don't clean out their mind. In fact, the first few days, they're worried about how they got there and, and settling in and all of that. And then the day before or two days before they leave, now they're thinking about leaving. Yeah, exactly. Only living the, uh, the uh, middle couple of three days of the retreat to actually get any work done. And generally, yeah. day six in the Goenka retreat is a very low day. Everybody has a hard day. Day six, uh -huh. but day seven now, there's only two days left. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's really weird. And you're not really enjoying your practice in that way. But I thought about well, one thing, they don't one even, thing more. The way that the Goenka retreat is yeah. taught, even though Goenka himself, when he says, never mind, start again, uh -huh. he's doing, but people don't do it like that. They don't do the never mind, start again. The never mind is to see the hindrances, to see the dukkha, and never mind that stuff. Start again, let's come back to the breath, and start having a long, deep in-breath, etc. Okay? Students don't practice that way. They do more of the noting style in the sense that, yes, I see all of that dukkha, but then they keep it in the mind. The whole idea is, is that we have to change the content of the mind from yeah. the unwholesome to the wholesome, which that's, means that's, changing it yeah. from critical to nurturing thoughts. And so yeah, exactly, you exactly. Have... You have to take care of yourself, you know. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so we nurture. How do we nurture ourselves? Oh, you're okay. Everything's going to be all right. There's no problems. Another way of saying it is down, boy, like you're talking to the dog. Yeah, it's exactly. Like... But it's really a bit sad because I noticed when I started doing it to myself, like uh, this, 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 I've been doing it like I'm, I've been, I've been, I've been listening to you for like two months and I've been doing it like one week. So uh -huh. I really, you know, doing it a little bit more each day, but right, like the past two days, I've been really doing it. But then there was, then Great. I, then I was like sad because I was like, okay, I'm thinking, I'm this positive against myself, but how am I talking to my daughter and, and my son? You know? I, I'm, I'm nice to them, you know, like I'm, I'm a normal parent, you know, I'm not amazing, I'm, I'm, I'm just okay, you know, but how am I talking to them? I'm not nurturing all the time, even though I should be, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm not, now I'm starting to nurture That's myself. That's what I'm I, saying, I, I is you begin to have, to have the goal that you're going yeah. to start being nurturing with your kids, you're going to be playful with them. Yeah. Yeah. Tease them, joke with them, tickle them. When you see the daughter unhappy and not smiling, you can say, where's your smile? Use the kids as an experiment for two things. One is if you can gladden your own mind when you're around them and come out of your selfishness, then you can help them gladden their mind also. And then that would be meta. Yeah, we had such a great time this past few, uh, few days, actually. You know? Well, Edward, I'm really glad to hear that you're practicing well. 
So you continue on with that and give me a call in the next several days and we'll continue on in our discussions. Yes, very nice. So remember that this is not um, a formal meditation sitting, but we'll we'll talk about your sitting practice next yes. time. Yes. Okay, and, and, and what you do. But basically it's it's not what you do on the cushion. That in fact there's no reason to have a cushion at all of the whole in mentality of it. That any time that you can think of it, even on the toilet, you can take a long, deep breath and say, my, what a good practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because Dick Nathan wrote the same thing in his book. And I was like, huh? But it, it, it's nice. But what, what, I thought about one thing. You know, you said that the meditation is not only on the cushion, you know. Uh, and But people here... But people also Buddhists here in the West, they're very fixated on that, you know. And a lot of, we have a lot of, in Sweden, I don't know why, but we have a lot of Tibetan Buddhist guys here. So they're very Swedish in every way. Like a little bit, you know, a little bit socially anchored, you know, a little bit not so emotional. And, and but, but they, they chant like thousands of deities every night for hours, you know. And one of these guys, he said, oh, I don't have so much time for my chanting anymore because I, I'm home with my two uh, daughters, and they're, they're twins. And, I, and then I said to him, you know, I said, to him, but that's a good practice, I said to him. And he looked like me like I was an idiot, you know, mm -hmm. like, like he didn't have time to chant his deities and he chant his different stuff, you know, like his house and, the, you know, the mantras. So, so it was not, uh, uh, like, and I was like, but having to, uh, having to carry around two twins, that's a pretty challenging Dharma practice, I thought. To myself, like a challenge. It's, it's that's a pretty good challenge, isn't it, Damarata? Right. Well, yes, you can think of uh, a life is like a gym. Yeah. And whatever gym that you're in, I mean, uh, so you can see the kids as uh, a, you use the word challenge, and I would use the word more like, no, this is a toy that you play with. Or another way of talking about it is that these are just the the weights to, to you're in the gym. You're here to lift weights. Let's lift those weights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's enjoy. But they're not. These kids are not a challenge. No. They're an exercise. They're a, exercise. Yes. It's better. Hmm. You give you a strong mind. Can you be joyful? Can you be joyful even when the kids are pestering you? Can you be joyful? Can you be loving and uh, nurturing and uh, uh, teasing and playful? Yeah, I have to find that. Yeah, it's a good challenge, but, but I really want to talk about my uh, meditation practice more with you uh, okay. in depth soon. Yes. Uh, I'm very happy that I, I put my alarm clock on and went up in the middle of the night to call you, Damarato. I'm very happy. Well, I'm very glad to meet you, Edward. Very glad hey. to meet you. Very and glad hope to, to see you. you soon. Yeah, I will call you soon. Okay. Well, we'll see you in a couple of days or so then, and we'll get right into it. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.